Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dorley. I'm CEO, owner, and co-founder of Nutritional Frontiers, and we're breaking through nutritional boundaries. Our mission is to make the world healthy, and that's more important now more than ever. Our vision is to double every three years and help at least a million new people. Our purpose is to help healthcare professionals and patients improve your results. We are a USA FDA registered organization right here in Pittsburgh. All of our facilities are CGMP certified. What that means is two things. We guarantee the purity and the potency of every formulation. And in fact, our liquid herbs are all made in the USA and organic. In addition, we give you the best delivery systems that are out there. They're gonna maximize your compliance, the bioavailability, and most importantly, the results. So when you look at research, Nutritional Frontiers is leading the industry in our cutting edge research on our formulas. Help us continue on our mission of making the world healthy. Look forward to seeing you at one of our events soon. And if you ever need me, reach out directly to the website, nutritionalfrontiers.com. Thanks so much. Let's make the world healthy and God bless. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. everybody welcome to the sunday conversations edition of the robert scott bell show you uh have been plugging into uh kind of in-depth casual yet intense discussions uh from i think people i want you to know about and learn about and find out what their story is why do they believe what they believe what have they journeyed on and this this guy i got featured today is a, a very good friend of mine we've been traveling the planet together for decades now we We've been, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But he's all the way from Germany originally. And I used to uh, travel across the pond, as we say, from the Atlantic Ocean to, to England and then take the Eurail passes and tra travel around. And I, I met this fellow. We'll go back through the story of how that happened. But he was also my, what, what I call him, my inside information guy for the World Bank International Monetary Fund, specifically the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. So some of you have been with me for a while will remember him. And he's quite wise in the ways of geopolitics as well. And he's got a deep insight as well that goes into, I believe, a deep spiritual understanding of why this stuff keeps happening over and over again. And you've heard me ask that and even acknowledge it could be frustrating. It could be maddening. It's like, have we learned nothing? <laughs> So let's welcome my good friend. I call him, well, I call him RC for short, but he's Rolf Christian. Some people call him Chris. And his full name, when I first met him, I couldn't believe it as an American, Rolf Christian Gabriel Muller-Uri. It's, it's RC, Rolf Christian, my brother. So good to see you. Thanks for being on today. Hey, Scott, good to see you. So Great to be here. And, and and going back, if people met me in my youth, they all know me by my middle name. So you'll hear Rolf Christian say, Scott, and don't be off put by that. That's my middle name. It's still valid. <laughs> my mom still calls me Scotty. So uh, that's how you know. But uh, Rolf Christian, again, I, I think about meeting you all those years ago when we were, I was a snot-nosed kid, basically, a young adult, but we were still kids in many ways. Uh, and, and you know, the cultural shock, the difference between me, the American dude, 
you, the German guy, very, you know, we talk about the, the mental giants. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you because we made fun of each other a lot in the, back in the day. Uh, but why, quite a journey how we met and, and then uh, the travels that we've been on. And then that led you down a very serious road in international banking and, and all that you've come to, uh, to learn about geopolitics. So I've kind of thrown out the gauntlet of a lot of things we can talk about today. But partly I'm curious about your impression when we first met of uh, these crazy American youth. <laughs> yeah, it was a really liberating experience because uh, the thing in Europe is within an hour, two hours, you're running into three or four different countries if you're in the car. Every country is another planet, different culture, different people, different language, different history. Everything is different. But running into Americans for the first time um, was very liberating because you guys were well, freer actually than Europeans, not so set in your ways, maybe a little bit more naive, but in a good way, you know, you still believed in the, um, yeah, that everything was fine and uh, life was as it was supposed to be. And in a way you are right and in a way you are not. And so um, I think when it comes to the out and politics, things are never what they seem to be and usually not in a great way. And when it comes to the spiritual side of life, I totally agree with the American attitude. There's always a good reason to be optimistic. And uh, I took that on. That's one reason why I moved over here, because there are more people who understand freedom, who value freedom, and who have a positive attitude. I, I remember once, didn't we travel uh, by car through Austria and then went to the Czech Republic right after the, the, the Soviet Union had fallen? And mm. I remember going into that area, and it was like, people were still in shock, like they were, they were imprisoned and suddenly they were not and didn't know what to do with it. And, and of course, you grew up in Germany, obviously post-World War II, were the same age, born in the 1960s, and, and you had a, obviously a different upbringing in Germany than I had in, in the United States. But again, we had this connection that was, uh, you know, a love of freedom ultimately and spiritual freedom, really, uh, foundationally. But I remember that trip, that journey we went into what was formerly Eastern Europe, and had a, it was the strangest energy I've ever felt. Yeah, it was so weird, you know, when the Iron Curtain opened and suddenly all these people were experiencing freedom. You know, freedom means that you could speak without getting arrested within 24 hours, speak freely. And um, you could actually make your own choices, which was quite scary in some ways, because if someone else made your choices for you, in a way, it was much easier. And it also led to situations where people made very strange choices. I'll just give you one extreme example. We, <clears throat> sorry, we drove to um, the Czech countryside, little town, and there were these, have all these schools. And by the roadside, it was absolutely crazy. There were all these girls lined up, teenage girls, school girls, not one, not two, not 20, not a hundred, but hundreds. And they were waving to cars with Western number plates. So basically, within weeks of that, they thought the best way to experience freedom to sell their body on the free market as teenagers. And I have to say, you know, although Western Europe is quite liberal in that respect, that doesn't happen there. Yeah, so that's not a thing. And um, so it was quite shocking. And um, so this is some of the things that then people say, oh, yeah, 
capitalism is bad. We need a government to protect us from too much freedom. But the reality is they quickly found out that that's not the best way to make money. And there are all kinds of uh, downsides to that way. And um, so this thing, these phenomenons vanished very quickly. So people learned usually the hard way. But um, yeah, that was one of the weirder and let's say more less pleasant experiences of freedom on the upside people suddenly could speak about their dreams, you know, what they wanted. And there was an, the fear suddenly started to go away slowly. I remember people in restaurants, they were still whispering into each other's ears. A couple was sitting there, man whispering into the uh, wife's ear. Then the wife was whispering into his ear. He whispered back. It was a whispering conversation, so no one could overhear. And they had to get used to that. And um, that is brilliant. The only thing we are finding out now, that freedom is also going down the drain slowly in our world, in the Western world. The, and that is funny enough, fiction. in the, the East, they are now upholding the values we gave them in the first place. Uh, they are upholding them in much stronger ways than uh, than we do in the West. It, well, it begs the question, Rolf Christian, you know, how we saw the emergence of freedom in a place where it was overtly not free. I mean, it wasn't subtle, yeah. right? We talked about, uh, you know, what's the difference uh, between America and the Soviet Union? At least in the Soviet Union, they knew that their government was lying to them, for instance. We still yeah. had, you pointed out a naivete, if you will about freedom. We really believe that the government was out for our best interest, despite the fact that mm -hmm. if you go back to the history of the founding fathers in America, they said they warned us against centralizing power and government that it would inevitably descend into tyranny. And so we may have prided ourselves on being the freedom people on the planet. And in some ways that was true. But as you pointed mm -hmm. out, there was some level of naivete. Uh, in, in fact, you know, just, just seeing what's happening in America, which I've talked about a lot, the, the attacks on freedom of speech, the the need to now whisper among your friends lest somebody could hear that you might believe something different than Anthony Fauci, for instance, you know, during the cold COVID wars, I call it, not the Cold War, the COVID wars. And we have been deplatformed on a number of places. So uh, a significant proportion, proportion of the American electorate is actually in favor of censoring views that they disagree with rather than defending them. I think this is a weird thing. It's one of the spiritual principles in the universe is actually the principle of balance, the law of balance. And so these are not, there are a number of spiritual laws out there that are not man-made, not made by politicians, but they kind of keep things together in the world, in life, in the universe. And law of balance is one of them. So we had this weird situation. Uh, we had this brutal negative force on the planet, the Soviet Union, and that forced us to have a positive counterbalance, create a positive counterbalance. The moment that vanished, that need to give us more freedom disappeared because there was only one power left. No restraint and unrestrained power always leads to corruption. That was the problem. You know? As long as there was a counterbalance on the planet, our, let's say, true leadership kind of gave us more freedom than they're willing to do now hmm. because frankly, there's no need. They don't have any competition to be worried about. Hmm. Dude, I'm thinking about this. We've also traveled to West Africa. You, you think about the various experiences of souls inhabiting people on planet Earth, right? And hmm. we've got to see a fair amount of it. And it's wild that the wide variety of experiences. I've talked about my African experiences, and you were there as well, hmm. uh, being really profound in that, you know, when I talk about – 
having absolute absolute reliance on the Holy Spirit or divine spirit. Because mm. every day they woke up and didn't know if they would live through the day. There was yeah. not a guarantee like we sort of have in the West. We, for the most part, unless you're living in a war-torn region, and there are there are those as well, that you have a reasonable expectation. Every day you wake up in America, you have a roof over your head, you have you know food in the in the in the cupboard or the or the uh, refrigerator, and you you have clothes. And and not every part of the world has that. And I thought, wow, do we take for granted the freedom that we we uh, I guess perceive? And it might not be the freedom that we ultimately need, which I think is spiritual freedom. I think the, the issue is that outer abundance can put people to sleep spiritually. Hmm. And if you're fighting for your life every day and there is no government to fall back on, there is no outer law and order, then you're looking for some higher power that can save your life every single day. And that reliance is something that I also experienced in Africa. Unbelievable. And um, I know we had quite a few amazing experiences. Like you said, you know, your car breaks down. You call the American Automobile Club, not in Africa. <laughs> no, not You need there. divine intervention, yeah? yeah? Or when you get kidnapped, you, 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 you need someone to save your butt. You've got you can't usually rely machete. on the police. You know, it, it, it could be a life and death situation the moment yeah. something unusual happens. And uh, yeah, you, your, your point is like, oh, you break down in America. It's a little inconvenient, but hey, someone's going to come and get you, fix you up. You'll be on your way. So it isn't that way everywhere. Now, the upside on this is, you know, as our reliance on outer safety, security and reliability goes down the drain, I think we are kind of being pushed in the direction of inner reliance, self-reliance and relying on divine spirit. And I like that. It just means um, whatever illusion we had of having outer safety and security is being torn to shreds yeah, mm. year by year. It's getting yeah. less and less. I'm I'm drawn to people that follow the whispers of divine spirit or God. You know, we, that's why we get along so well. I've always observed that in you, and I appreciate it so much. And some of my best friends on the planet, you know, and, and they could be from various different religions and belie beliefs. It could be different, but they have this kind of connection with the divine, with God, and they listen. And I think mm -hmm. that to me is the most inspiring thing because it's so easy to be distracted in a in a time and a place, for instance, in the in the West where we've had great abundance and the ability to kind of carry on through life very casually without concerning ourselves for everyday survivability, right? Mm -hmm. And and yet what's happening now around the world is certainly to some degree turning people back to maybe prayer, maybe a recognition that there's something bigger than them that when they can't rely on the automaticness, if you will, of everything's taken care of for me outwardly, mm. that we are driven back to the inside, so to speak, as you mentioned. I just want to give you one example where divine spirit saved my butt. And um, it was quite interesting. As you know, Afghanistan became the world's largest drug producer after American occupation. And um, then the drugs obviously have to go over borders. And one of the borders is the northwest border, you know, Hindu Kush. And I actually had a mission in the Hindu Kush mountains, and I was scheduled to go on a helicopter ride to a Hindu Kush border town. And um, interesting thing, the night before, I went to the fitness studio in the hotel, and I opened the door and I saw monsters. There were all these um, brutal, brutal, brutal looking guys there, and they looked absolutely murderous. And I thought, wow, what the heck is that? And 
I was told these are mercenaries. They're mercenaries. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing in my hotel. Anyway, I would find out. They're mercenaries from Russia that were hired by the government to do something. Anyway, next day I was waiting for the helicopter to take me into the mountain town and uh, was right next to the to the landing spot of the helicopter, big H on it. Helicopter didn't come, didn't see us. I, I didn't, we didn't see them. And when we, we called them in and said, oh yeah, we, we came to collect you, but we waited there for half an hour and no one was there. We connect, we uh, compared times, watches. We were there at the same time. We could not see each other. Unbelievable, right. impossible. And um, <clears throat> then we got a message basically a couple of hours later that at the very moment we would have been in the air over that uh, mountain town, uh, a war would, was has had broken loose and all these mercenaries I saw in the hotel, they were basically unleashed on that city, was a war about um, allocation of the funds of the the revenue from the border drug trade between Afghanistan and that country. Oh so God. there were billions and billions at stake yeah. and the government wanted to redistribute the earnings by a violent assault. And they shot down the heli helicopters there and they was a brutal massacre and battle there. And I would have been right in the midst of it. And the a miracle was that I couldn't see the helicopter and the pilot couldn't see me. We were in the same spot at the same time. Unbelievable. Great, so great stuff. That, yeah. But it's the kind of thing that actually sometimes saves you in war zones. Yeah. These are things that are outside my power that just really, um, yeah, get you through that. We call it divine intervention, right? The impossible becomes a reality, and you can't explain mm. it other than that. Uh, the the helicopter itself, then they didn't have a reason to take anybody there, so they were not in that war zone, right? That, yeah, so the, they yeah. were not in the zone, and uh, wow. neither was I, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that, that's part of what I've witnessed in my life as well. There are times that you can't explain it, and I'm sure, folks, if you're watching or listening Right now, you've probably been in situations like this where you don't know why something blocked you from going somewhere. You got maybe very angry and frustrated. And had you gone there in the time that you were scheduled, you found out there was a major accident. Something had happened there. There was definitely mm. something that intervened to protect you. The question is, can we acknowledge it in the moment it's occurring instead of cursing it and then going, thank you later? Uh, I think God has patience with us because we're human or in a human state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. But I think it's kind of cool when you can practice that presence all of the time. So in that moment, you can remain calm, much like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. the, the basic uh, edict was don't panic. That's the thing. And I know what I think we owe it to ourselves to enjoy this lifetime. If you look at it, we have probably... a if you put a list down, we probably have a number of grievances and things we are not happy with starting with politics. And then there should be another list on the next to that, all the things we should be grateful for. Family, friends, uh, money we have on the bank account, uh, our property, our car, giving us the freedom to drive where we want to, having access to petrol and all these things we take for granted, to food, to water. I mean, even water, yeah? How long can you live without water? Three days. And um, I remember another incident in the in these uh, former Soviet republics. Uh, I had just successfully completed a water project, and I went to to this village. That suddenly I had I had basically run the project so that every single one would have personal private access to water. 
Before that, there was one person uh, controlling the water access for the entire village. Now mm -hmm. I came to the village. There was something really weird. Everyone looked really thin and gaunt, except two people. There was one lady who was basically uh, as wide as she was tall and another boy who was advised as he was tall. So these were the only extremely well-fed individuals in the whole village. And she was basically the block warden who controlled the entire water supply of the town. And you can imagine how she had abused her power. They basically, um, and she was furious when that project was uh, finished and everyone else was dancing and celebrating. And water, you live without water for three days and that's it, they had no choice. So just think for a moment how grateful we have to be that we have free access to water every single day. And no one, no one basically we have to suck up to who's controlling that water and can literally do anything to us and demand anything because that's survival. It's interesting, Rolf Christian, that you mentioned that because I've heard rumors that the, uh, the, the people at the highest levels of government and non-governmental organizations that talk about population reduction and how do we control the populace. We learned a lot about the COVID motivations. We're not about controlling a virus, but controlling people. And now discussions about controlling the flow of water, that that would be the next war or wars would be over water. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's water and food. You know, if you look, there are all kinds of threats to our food supply. And um, I'm, I mean, we are quite fortunate that we have a bit more rain in North America than in other countries. But yeah, I'm sure that is, is definitely a, a great way to control people. Well, how would you describe, uh, you know, as we, we've, the, thema the thematic element of this show is always about freedom. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I love the topic and I wish we didn't have to hyphenate it. Right. Because we call it freedom. It's like freedom. It's this concept. What does it mean? And of course, you can go in to someone who's, you know, lived under the Soviet Union and then they're not. And then they might have a different perspective on freedom than we do growing up in America, never having known that you grew up again in, in post World War Two in Germany. Of course, your parents probably lived through, uh, you know, the, the whole Nazi you know issue that we read about in history books. You were right there in Germany. You weren't alive at that time that we know of. <laughs> but the idea of, again, of freedom and we talk about political freedom, economic freedom, health freedom. And I think one of the deepest, deepest ones, which I talk about, is spiritual freedom. How do we equate having to, you know, kind of isolate different forms of freedom and, and, and can we bring them together? Is it just not possible on this planet to actually be fully free? Is it just, are we destined to find various forms of slavery of the mind or otherwise? Because that's been part of the history of humanity as well. I think as long as we are looking for freedom on this planet, we will be ending up disappointed. <laughs> and if you look back in time, you know, the first uh, legal um, records from 1800 BC, code of Hammurabi and in the Middle East. Um, I mean, if I actually bothered to read through them to the laws they had in the Bronze Age about 3800 years ago. Unbelievable. So many restrictions on what you are allowed to do and not. And the brutal punishments, if you didn't, compared to that, we have still have an unbelievable amount of freedom. So, and that has been going on in ancient China, in Europe. I mean, even so-called wild and free tribes had very strong rules about what to do and what not to do, and very strict rules. So basically, as long as you're in human society, 
and you are not totally on your own in the wilderness uh, and fighting with mosquitoes in Alaska and, and grizzly bears. Or Paris. You, you don't, yes, <laughs> you don't have, um, you don't have freedom. Yeah. So now what's the solution to that? I found actually the true freedom and the true happiness is not of this world. And it can be found under any circumstances, even in jail, even in uh, chaotic situations where there is zero certainty. And out of that certainty of inner freedom and inner protection, spiritual freedom and spiritual protection, you actually can find inner peace. And that's one thing I found in Africa, that the people were much more at peace than we are. You know, and we have life insurances, we have all kinds of protection and wealth that they can never dream of. And because they just lived day by day and relied mm -hmm. on um, what spirit provided. And obviously, this is not all of Africa. There are certain mm -hmm. parts of Africa 15, 20 years ago that were rather rural. These mm -hmm. days, there are a lot of places that are very similar to the Western world as well. So you can't just, Africa is not everywhere the same. I remember going and meeting with the health practitioners, the doctors there in Africa, and uh, talking to them about what I was had learned about here in America, Western medicine. And I, and I said, you don't want what we've done. Go, go to the bush and save the medicine of your ancestors because mm -hmm. we're killing people with our medicine. And we need to do better. And we need you to not forget that, to stay connected to that history, that ancient history you have there. And, and it was quite unusual for them because in Africa, they were used to this kind of white colonial uh, consciousness coming in, dominating them, and in, in fact, convincing them that they were somehow superior. I mean, the, 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 you know, the Westerners were superior. And so many grow up in Africa to look and I want to go to school in America or in Europe or in England to learn all of these things and bring them back. And, and I said, no, 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 we haven't really done it all that well. Mm -hmm. And, and I wasn't sure how that would land. And then I think uh, earlier in the year we had an event and uh, one of the guys that was in Africa at the time we were there and I was talking to him about this. He came with a story because I thought at this point, years later, you know how you embellish stories and you think you make. I'm like, did I really do that? I mean, I've, it's been so many years. And he not only confirmed that I did that, even more detail he brought to me about his journey into and his sister's journey into natural medicine, how it helped. And I was so grateful to you don't always get the back end coming back around to hear how it impacted people. But it, it, it's fascinating, the colonial, colonial domination of Africa, particularly, and as we see things going on around, uh, around the world, uh, warfare in the Middle East, the Arabs, the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims, and all of this. And I think, are, are we just repeating patterns and, and we never break free? We never learn from it? Is it only occasionally we can kind of reach through the illusion, part it for a moment and go, hey, what you think is really awesome. It's not that great. What's really good is what you're talking about, Rolf Christian, that inner calm, that inner peace, that inner spiritual connection to the divine. Yeah, I still remember, Scott, when you recommended that these guys should start keeping records of their herbal knowledge, herbalistic knowledge, and also... Uh, consider homeopathic treatments. So that was something completely new to many people in West Africa. It was great. And it actually triggered quite a few things down there. And these days, a lot of companies here are desperate to get their hands on potent herbs that fight diseases there is absolutely no remedy for in, in the Western medicine. 
Yeah, so funny. One of my best friends is uh, has been in the natural products industry for many years. Friend of mine, we, he's been on the show many times, and I won't say his name at the moment, but he's been offered a position with a company that he would spend six months of his year in Ghana, West Africa, mm-hmm. because they are growing herbs and different things that are now going to be exported to us. That's, in America. Fantastic. that's fantastic. How cool is that? Uh, that's wonderful. So that's the thing, you know, if you look at the news, it's all bad. Everything is going down the hill. And particularly if you look behind the scenes, you're probably even more aware than others that even more things are going uh, poorly. But the reality is there are a lot of things that are also working out. It's not just the negative force winning and winning and winning. It's actually a balance of powers. And in the end, there are always people that are trying to build, trying to create, trying to make our life better and give us more freedom. The only thing, sometimes you're in a down phase in a down cycle, and sometimes you are in an up cycle. And at the moment, yeah, I think we are more on the downhill side of things. But it doesn't mean that it will stay like that forever. It's temporary. Every cycle feels like it's forever. In reality, every cycle is temporary. And I have the great hope that this, this cycle we are in at the moment will be accelerated for one reason. People like you, Scott, and, and others that have the awareness looking through the illusion and make it super hard to control people and to run these uh, schemes. And um, they can't, it's very difficult for them. They try everything. But ultimately, I think we are going to be able to shorten that down cycle, mm-hmm. no matter what they try. I think, you know, when I ask myself, how do I know I'm on the right track? Now, if I go inwardly, you know, that to me is a deep level communication with the divine, with God that can kind of give me a confirmation. But outwardly, I would have to say the fact that I've been banned in so many places, censored in so many places, because mm-hmm. the censors are never the good guys. <laughs> They're always trying to censor things that could empower individuals within a group to not comply with certain Again, structures that enslave people to ideas or fears or other things where they are limited in their freedom. And as you point out, there may never be perfect freedom on this planet, but uh, even the limitations on spiritual freedom. Think about what we were talking about in Eastern Europe coming out where they're having to whisper to one another because, I mean, in in an atheistic uh, communist environment, there's only a state religion, and it is communism, if you will. So it, it really overtly squashes mm. the spirituality of the people or attempts to do so. And we saw that even in COVID in America, as believe it or not, the, the government started shutting down churches and synagogues and mosques because they were trying to tell people to go there would be too dangerous. And it was mm-hmm. like astonishing to see that that could happen in America. Mm. Yeah, I know. It just was interesting to see how quickly things can turn but also how quickly things can turn for the better again. And, you know, with socialism, it's actually worse than poverty because socialism is slavery. And there are two ways to enslave people. One way is to make them work without pay. And the other way is to pay them without work. (laughs) And both ways help to enslave people. And uh, pay people without uh, having to work for it is the one, is the route that they're trying on us now. And the trick is all this money has to be stolen from us. So it's going from my right pocket into a politician's pocket. And then I get 10 cents on the dollar back if I'm lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's one way. And the other way is if I just uh, rely on welfare, and put my feet up, then I die spiritually, which is even worse. Then I'm totally in the hands of the government. 
whatever handouts they give me, I rely on it. You know, I'm a slave. And both of both options are not great. That's why I support the auto fight for freedom as well. But the, the trick is not to get so wound up about it. So I plead for uh, awareness beyond political awareness. Having spiritual awareness makes our life much, much more pleasant because it gives us this inner calm. And there are different ways to connect to this spiritual power. And um, it also led to experiences for me that I had about me not being here for the first time and mm. not for the second or the third time. So I'm talking about reincarnation. And I know not everyone believes that, but uh, I basically have recollections of a number of lifetimes. And so does my family members, children and parents and others, friends. And what it does, it totally shifts your perspective. Because see, in our society, we are kind of, they're trying to push us to be for or against something. There be against another race, be against another party, be against another group of people, be against uh, for or for something all the time. And the reality is I have been in more than one culture, more than one gender, more than one um, economic, um, yeah, e e economic, um, I don't know, wealth zone. You know, I mm -hmm. wasn't always rich. I wasn't always poor. Sometimes I was enslaved. Sometimes I was a robber. Sometimes I was a king. And I remember there was one incarnation right after the uh, unpleasant royalty one. See, the downside, if you have power, is that usually there's a temptation to abuse it. You usually have a mission. Yeah? Everyone is on a mission. And uh, again, I also had a certain mission which I accomplished, but I didn't do it very nicely. And uh, a lot of people got hurt. And another thing is um, power brings fear. All the people that are not in power fear those who are in power. And I had to experience that. that the next lifetime was as a court jester and, surround, and having to entertain politicians, um, being the most intelligent person in the room is the least power. And I had to make jokes about them. Mm -hmm. and absolutely scary because each one of them could have killed me any moment and so i personally experience what it is to be completely powerless but having to point out the weaknesses among politicians because that's wow. what royalty is what a dangerous time old-time politicians yeah. and modern politicians are like old-time royalty really mm -hmm. or they try to be and they're just people like us like you and me and um, the only th thing that differs that we differ in is the amount of power they have. Mm -hmm. you know? So the Sunday conversations go deep, y'all, and I hope you enjoy them. I do. Uh, they've been we've been a wide variety of discussions here. And Rolf Christian brought up something that I brought up a couple of times over the years: uh, the idea of having lived before. Now, some people interpret that as having lived a life in a uh, you know a spiritual sense, but not in a corporeal body, right? And that's okay, however you interpret it. But uh, just roll with it because it's a fascinating dif difference of perspective. Now, Rolf Christian, you didn't always have that view. I mean, did did you not grow up in Europe and Germany? Uh, with a uh, you know, traditional Christian background? Were your parents involved in the church in any way? They were actually seekers. They, they had been in the church and they were looking at all kinds of spiritual teachings. They were looking at the Kabbalah, the Jewish Kabbalah. They were looking at Sufism. They were looking at transcendental meditation. They were looking at esoteric movements. And um, the one thing they found is that all of these religions they had been looking into they had quite a few interesting things to say, but the experiences were very limited. 
so there was no inner guidance there and um, very little true spiritual experiences in other words it was still a mystery how to connect to the divine that was oh my god or having access to let's say a spiritual master or some i don't know vice person or spiritual leader from the past impossible you know it was just mm -hmm. you had to rely on the written word and words are nice but they will not save your life when uh, you depend on it so the the journey into finding your own path unique path the path i believe of spiritual freedom uh we may talk about some of the things that have opened you up to experience that because i don't believe they belong to anybody individually ultimately it, that's part of our our relationship to the divine how do we experience it uh you know for many it is enough uh to read the bible and and you know go into prayer and and you're very happy there and there are others that have what i call divine discontent and they mm -hmm. think there's something more something i'm missing i need something else something's going on and and others will will of course judge people in that way about how they get there or not i tend to be uh you know trying to be loving and accepting because that's you know growing up jewish in a, in a, a southern you know christian region of america i remember getting beaten over the head by a jesus stick and i was like mm -hmm. this jesus guy you talk about doesn't sound like he's really all that nice then then i found many in in, in a christian uh perspective that actually try to live what i call a, or they call a christ-like way and they are very loving and caring and forgiving so uh it's a wide variety of experiences on any path people are on mm -hmm. and i always bring this up no matter what path you you know you, you are a part of if you're a member or not you will find other people on that same path have a wildly different view of it <laughs> their experiences are different even though you, you have a same basic core set of beliefs mm -hmm. how do we navigate that without killing each other you know this is this comes back to this idea of consciousness can we grow do we learn or do we fight the same battles over and over again? Do we fight as one, come back as the other and fight as the other? You've described that a little bit in terms of thinking of a more than one lifetime. Mm. Well, it's quite funny. You know, my little daughter, she is half African, half German. And when we went to a war museum in England, there were all these warplanes, you know, English warplanes, Second World War, German warplanes, Second World War. And I told her about the war and that this is interesting. So I would have had to fight myself because I'm English and I'm German. So how would that work? I have to start putting a German helmet on and shoot at myself. And then I put an English helmet on, shoot at my German mirror image. And uh, she was just a few, how old was she? I think she was in elementary school still. Oh, I really had to laugh. It just shows the illusion. You know, people in power try to put us on a track of conflict that serves them. Mm -hmm. And it means in, for a conflict, you have to have an enemy, someone who is bad. And obviously, you are always good, no matter what, because that's the motivation. You know, otherwise, you don't get people to fight. And um, so basically, it's a trap. And the reality is there are good people on all sides and there are bad people on all sides. And the people in power are usually not worth fighting for. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's the one thing I found. And um, now, it doesn't mean there is no ethics. Absolutely the opposite. So I feel in tune with all the good people on the planet, no matter what culture, what age or what, yeah, what civilization they come from. And um, that's also how I live my life. You know, I like to connect and have friends and cultures and people from all beliefs. And I've been so delighted, you know, that uh, so many Christians are, are fighting for freedom, for spiritual freedom. And... Um, 
particularly in this country, they're a formidable force, and I totally support that. Wonderful. Yeah, you are, by the way, if, you, if anybody didn't figure out, you are, you emigrated to the United States legally, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm grateful that you're here, and I don't have to travel all the way to Europe to see you, and uh, we get to see each other <laughs> from time to time, but, uh, you know, you were drawn here, and, uh, you know, there's uh, that aspect of freedom, uh, recognizing even though as you were born into this lifetime in Germany as a German, that you are much more than that country of origin. Mm. I mean, when it comes to immigration, also a hot topic, uh, I would recommend don't blame the people who want to come here. They might have all kinds of reasons, good ones or bad ones, but they always have a good reason to come here. And um, I would rather blame the people who let them in. <laughs> yeah, why so have they done that? There basically yeah. has to be a system in place that it's a bit like a party. You don't want to invite anyone from the street to your private birthday party. You want to select the list of guests, and that's exactly like it should be with any country. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't cost people tens of thousands of dollars to a to an immigration lawyer, and take years. No, it should be a straightforward but very thorough uh, system in place, where you select people that you think would add value to your country. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, it's a free for all, which serves all kinds of political purposes, including trafficking and and no. also. Um, low wage slavery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's great to have really low paid people that would do anything because of their non existing legal status. And you don't have to pay them trade union wages. So great for some, not good for those that are being exploited, mm -hmm. and not great for the others that are legally here. Mm -hmm. So it's a system that is corrupt for a reason, but not for a good one. And it could yeah. be easily fixed. But see, these these things they have to go into people's awareness and then they have to bring it up again and again and again until all the things that the politicians do don't work anymore and they just give up and ultimately they might start figuring out something that works better than what's going on right now hmm. well it'd be lovely if we could again learn from the past learn from history i don't know of another country that has open borders and and that's their policy and thinking that they could be a better country for that. As you point out, uh, people coming into your home, you want to make sure they're vetted, that they're not here to do destruction or steal from you or harm you in Absolutely, some way. Yeah. There's nothing xenophobic about that. And, and yeah. as you point out, to blame the people that want to come here, look, uh, it isn't so much that, because I agree, the people that are letting anybody in, they're the ones ultimately to blame. But, of course, there could be people coming in that are intending to do harm, and that is of great concern. Yeah. And I totally understand why they come here, because they can also make illegally and criminally wonderful, uh, wonderful business opportunities here. But it's our job to prevent that. Mm -hmm. Someone is not doing their job here and it's the people in charge. Yeah, and that's very simple. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, those in power always need to be held accountable. And they're trying to dodge the bullet over years and years. But at some point, you know, things things will have an effect. Yeah, I just see that in Europe, you know, they try to to rush the ESG agenda, taking away people's cars and their houses and everything by forcing them to create ze carbon zero boxes to live in, where you have to invest about $150,000 in your house to still be permitted to live in there without the bulldozers coming and tearing your house down because you violated all kinds of arbitrary environmental re regulations. So the English government just had to postpone that. You know, also they, by many years, they had to postpone certain regulations and cancel the people in charge of these agendas. It's not off the table yet, 
but they have given them five or have pushed it forward five or 10 years more mm -hmm. because it's just uh, people won't have it. There have been all kinds of campaigns. And this is in a place where both parties were going for that. Yeah, you didn't have any choice politically. Both parties wanted the same thing. That was not good for the people. And they still managed to succeed in pushing it back. And when it comes to voting, for instance, I mean, we have also a country where you have two parties. Yeah, and, and each party affiliate thinks, oh, my party are the good ones, the other ones are the bad ones. Reality is, for the longest times, it didn't matter who you voted for, which is exactly the reason why you had free vote, why you were free to vote for you ever you wanted to vote for because it didn't matter because both parties were in the pocket of those who actually were in charge. Mm -hmm. And the moment that changed your right to vote, um, you will find it dramatically affected. Let's say, you know, there are all kinds of issues with vote riggings and, uh, or, and pretty unpleasant things that are commonplace in countries like Russia and Zimbabwe and mm -hmm. now in America as well, which is understandable for those in power because they moment you have an alternative, they got to close the door on that, whatever way, right. you know. Right. But look, that's human nature. Human nature, whoever's in power wants to stick to it. And some people are willing to go further than others to keep that power. Well, you, you've had a lot of insight and you've shared it on this show about uh, Russia, the culture there, uh, the politics there, even Putin, you know, where we have some people here in America have a really strange view of Putin, uh, like he, like he's a you know a good guy. Uh, you know, at the same time, the whole Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict seemingly uh, not of real genuine interest to most Americans. Yet they've been taking money from Americans through taxes and sending it over to Ukraine, and that was going great until enough people, even on the Democrat side, were going, "Hey, why are we doing this?" And then suddenly, within a week. There's this major blow up in Israel. Yeah. Like, the, you know, I mean, military... look, it is. Uh, I remember when I was in school, uh, just in the early high school years, they were running these campaigns save the world, save, um, I think it was Ethiopia at the time that had to be saved, and um, or Somalia, I'm not quite sure. And we were all supposed to take our savings and give it to these uh, aid agencies. Now, my parents, my dad, who was actually in foreign aid, very active for decades, he said, just wait a moment, just let's have a look at where the money actually goes and how much of it actually arrives. And it turned out it's a tiny percentage, maybe 5% of the money really goes to the people that need it. 95% goes to the people that don't need it, but want it desperately <laughs> because they want to be richer. And again, you know, there are charities who have a very low overhead. And he, my dad told me to look for charities. If you want to give to a charity, give to charities, look for charities that have a low overhead and do some research. You can't give blindly or you might as well burn your money, you know. Mm. And so, yes, there are good organizations that keep the overhead uh, down and try to get the money right to where it's needed. And there are companies or organizations and governments that will put most of the money into the pockets of those people that they care about and they're usually no, no. not those that really need no, it the warlords or um you know if yeah. we go through the things you know firsthand at the european bank for reconstruction development the world bank international monetary fund it was about going into countries like colonialists of old but it wasn't really for one country but it was for the bankers and they would go in and secure natural resources with the promise of 
infrastructure improvements through loans. Mm -hmm. And so they would turn these countries into debt slaves and give global corporations with no allegiance to any nation or state free access to both natural resources and human resources in those areas where it was slave labor wages. I mean, so we see that even the so-called unofficial charities of the World Bank giving loans to, to poorer countries was all about enslaving them and capturing what they had under their under their feet, so to speak. Yeah, it basically meant the moment you signed for a $10,000 loan for a little kindergarten somewhere in an African country, you had to surrender your entire economy to the big corporations from the United States uh, and other countries. So it literally was like a surrender. They literally had to surrender their economic wealth to, to the Western countries, which was an economic colonialism. And the Chinese are doing the same thing now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And they, they learned from us. But look, what is the? There's not much point in worrying about these things because, face it, you know we have one vote, but this one vote—they're even trying to take it away from us. This one tiny little vote, and I find it doesn't matter. I haven't voted for decades, and I'm super happy with it, because most parties, I can find enough reasons not to vote for them, you know. And um, the point is, I think our influence goes way beyond this one vote that we might or might not be able to cast, or that might be flipped around to the other party. <laughs> Who knows what they do with it? Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't worry about it. I think the focus should be, what can I do to be the best I can be? And what can I do personally to make this a better world? Can be as simple as making the effort, as I just said, looking for those charities that really make a difference. It takes a bit of work, but after a few weeks, you will have figured out one or two. Um, maybe helping people in your community or taking on a cause or focusing on your spiritual evolution. The best thing I ever did really was doing that. Mm. You don't have to give up your day job doing that. It's just the opposite. Bring divine spirit into whatever you do, you know, and you'll be able to touch people in much different ways than just, let's say, a legal conversation. There's a spiritual dimension to it because you genuinely care about the well-being of that other person not just physically or contractually, but spiritually, because you realize we're all on the same journey, journey of self-discovery and God discovery. Beautifully said. So uh, are you able to share uh, anything that helped you to connect to your, uh, let's say, divine nature and uh, maybe share it for others if they want to tap into it? Yeah, it's something actually we came across as when we were still kids and my parents came across that. And it was a very simple exercise. And I remember when we did that for the first few times, some wonderful things happened and they still do just in different ways. The first time we did that exercise, my sister was in one room, I was in the other. We were elementary school kids, a bit older than that maybe. And um, the... Suddenly, and it was in the middle of the night, I saw this light coming through the wall into my room for my sister, who was doing the spiritual exercise. I said, wow, what are you doing? And I walked out of my room, went into her room. What are you doing? There's all this light coming from you. And I said, what are you saying? Actually, there's all this light coming from your side, because I was doing the same spiritual exercise from my side. So this beautiful white bluish light that appeared into our bedrooms when we did that spiritual exercise. And just as some people do physical exercises to stay physically fit and, and able, 
there's things like spiritual exercises. You know, some people use prayer as that or meditation. And um, we found this contemplation exercise um, that really helped us to connect to the divine. It can give you protection in times of need, instant protection. And I shared one example. There are many others in an accident as well. It can help with healing. Depends on the divine spirit. But actually, wonderful things can happen. One of the things was recollections from past lives. Suddenly, I remember things. I knew why I liked and why I disliked other people. And um, yeah, pretty cool stuff. But that exercise is very simple. It's an ancient word for God that has been there since time immemorial. It's the beginning of mankind. And in different cultures, it appeared at different times in ancient Egypt, in the civilizations before they are long forgotten, in the, the, among the Sufis. And um, this word is the word hue, H-hue, an ancient word for God that connects to the divine when sung with love. Because I found the divine really is nothing but unconditional love. It's the reason why we exist. And that reason why we exist will never go away. This unconditional love will carry us. And this exercise connects us to this unconditional love. So I would recommend think of something or someone that really opens your heart. And then sing this two-letter word, H-U. Just give a little example. Hugh. Hugh, 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 Hugh. And you could have all kinds of experiences like light appearing, mm. sounds, and upliftment, beautiful feeling of love, peace. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is because it's divine spirit and not a human intervention, it actually supports whatever belief you hold. It doesn't change your religion. It strengthens your religious belief. Or if you are searching, it will lead you to the belief or the spiritual path that is best for you, your best next step. Beautiful. So it works with you on a one-to-one -one basis, which is what God is. No one is standing between us and God. And that personal relationship is a relationship of freedom. Mm -hmm. God gives us freedom to be our what we want to be, to be our best. And on the other hand, we have the freedom to find ways to connect to God. There are many ways, but that is the one that worked for me beautifully. And, still Beautiful. does to this and I, I utilize it as well. Anybody can utilize it. It doesn't belong to anyone. Uh, I think it's a gift from God. Uh, I remember um, when uh, my wife and I got married, the temple and the woman who married us in the ceremony gave us a Christian Bible as a gift. And mm -hmm. in that Christian Bible, it was written in Fanti, which is one of the, the, the African languages. And it talked about the lost word. And it mentioned the hue in a Christian Bible. So it wasn't yeah. like foreign to, to even some of the Christian teaching. So I just want to disarm people in that sense that this is something that doesn't convert you for using it. It's something that you have a gift mm -hmm. to use and, and, and enhance your personal relationship with the divine. So thank you for sharing that, RC. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very much. Uh, as we're wrapping up, we got a couple of more minutes here, and I just love the journey. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. Uh, I, 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 I kind of want to mention this again. I keep mentioning this. is about my mom. You've met my mom. She's originally from, she was born in Palestine. It became Israel and then lived through war and all of that. But she, she remembers as a child, as a teenager, living in, in Tel Aviv. And there were Jews, there were Christians, there were Muslims, there were Arabs. 
And they all somehow, for the most part, got along. They would go to the coffee shops, hang out. They would go to the shook or the market. They would buy things and engage in commerce. And it wasn't a bloodthirsty lust to kill one another until something intervened, like a third-party intervener took black ants and red ants, put them in a jar, and they were fine until you started shaking that jar up. And, and so the manipulation to then look externally as I hate and must kill that person, and I think it's distracted us from our divine relationship that connects us to one another, no matter what our background, religious beliefs, et cetera. I don't say that naively because there are people that do want to do us harm, but I just say there is a way if we leave those, those monsters out that you talked about and allow us to interact with one another, we would tend to find ways to get along even if we disagree. Look, there's a very fine line between self-defense and uh, committing crimes. And it's absolutely obvious. You know, you focus on the very person that attacks you and not all thousands of children and neighbors that didn't. And if you can't do that, then yeah, you have to wait a little bit until you catch the right person. And um, it's a bit, I looked at the crime statistics in Baltimore. They also had about a thousand people being killed a year. And no one thought about uh, carpet bombing Baltimore. <laughs> absolute would have been insanity yeah no you actually deal with one thing at a time this is up to the authorities again you know being a lynch mob can't recommend that because you don't bother about evidence usually well and, and going on a bandwagon uh, of hatred yeah. uh, to exterminate a and, certain and you, group of people and Rob because Christian, they have been colored in one yeah you all colored black i mean i can't recommend that either you, because you, ultimately no one gets ever killed right but if I commit a crime against Christian, someone, I pay for that. Some I point. apologize. We're almost out of time here, and I just want to go more with you on this. But that you talked about that that karmic debt or burden that binds you to them again. You come back, yeah. and now you have to do it on the other end, and you become the oppressed or the oppressor, the king I or know, the slave. So back and forth, waste and, of time. And that's the lesson I hope that and pray that we would one day mature enough to see through. But maybe this is the planet to learn this stuff. And I appreciate being on the planet with you, my friend. You make it a better place. And I uh, thank you for being on board today with our Sunday conversation. Thank you, guys. And just to say one last thing, you know, there are two things that connect people. One is love and one is hate. I can recommend to connect with people through love. Beautifully this said. This will give you a pleasant future. Yes. So the power to heal and love is yours. Thanks for being here.